Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. My guest today is Manu Bonti. He's a French master paragliding instructor with the APPI system, which he was really integral in developing and still is. A great educational syllabus and system that is now in, I believe, 100 countries. And he and his wife also guide XC tours. They've been doing this for more than 10 years. They have a really kind of a unique system. Sounds fantastic, actually, but they operate all over the world. They operate in Greece, Macedonia, and Turkey. Actually, today I was talking to him down in Colombia. He's been operating down the Calca Valley for quite a long time, discovered quite a few routes down there, and does these 15-day courses that are really grounded in aesthetic and safety and the mental aspects of flying XC more so than other ones I've heard. So... Uh, really cool take from a very cool person who's been at this game a very long time. So please enjoy this conversation with Manu Bonti. There ain't no need for you. Manu, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we have been working at this for several weeks now. And you're, when we started, you were down in Columbia. And I understand you're still in Columbia guiding some tours. Uh, how things going down there? And hello. <laughs> Thank you. Hello. Hello, Gavin. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, it's so cool to be in your podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm still in Colombia. I'm working here guiding um, um, cross-country clinics, working with my wife, Monique. If want to have you know, an idea about you know the way we work, um, at the beginning, Monique, my wife and I, we were uh, traveling the world. Uh, for years, you know, in search of places to fly. And our criteria were um, originality of the, the place we fly, aesthetics, cross-country potential. And also we we like also, you know, trek and fly or climb and fly adventure. And when we decided to go pro, um, what we, we wanted to offer to our clients is, above all, you know, share and discover nice original places um we personally know very well and, and progress. And about Colombia, we were among the first, you know, to bring pilot in Colombia 10 years ago. Now, of course, it became more popular, uh, but there are still places we fly where, where um, we are the only foreign pilot to fly there. So this is, this is basically what we do in Colombia. And how long are the tours and, and what are the kind of objectives? Uh, the tour we do, um, the projects of our cl- clinics is is connected with that vision of the flying we have. We it's the search of uh, aesthetical flights and progression. So it's typically fifteen days tour, and um, the the clinic is is based, you know, on basically on the tour. The the clients they discover a place, they fly that place local cross country a couple of days. And then we try to reach the next place in flight. And this helps the pilots to get usually the knowledge of several areas. And eventually we try to connect them together. So it's fun. There is a taste of discovering. But also what is interesting in that is that um, we put the pilots in the situation to apply the teaching tips we give them in different terrains. So this is this is basically um, the way we work. 
So that, I mean, Roldanillo and that area, the Calca Valley, uh, must be terrific for that. Cause you've got the mountain aspect and the flatland aspect, uh, in, are, are both of you, are you both of you teaching or are you both, you're both in the air with the clients all the time? Yes, definitely. So first of all, you know, the Roldanillo area is not the area we spend most time. Usually we make, um, on, uh, let's say the tour is along, let's say, a 400 kilometer, um, trip from Medellin to Cali, Cali, Medellin, you know, stuff like that. Oh, wow. So there are a lot of terrain we fly that are totally different, like, uh, the valley. It's not like if we would fly only, I would say, Pidichinche, Roldanio, if you know the place and, and Samanuevo, you know, for instance. Um, we go in totally different, uh, terrain. And of course, you know, when we do this type of, um, I would, I would call that like something like cross country touring, you know, mm. um, the safety is essential. Um, so the keys we have for the safety is first of all, we are, um, two guides in the air. The, we manage little groups is three to four clients maximum per guide. So, and we, we, we build group with homogenic level. And as you were mentioning the choice of the site, you know, sites that allow to escape from the mountain to get in flat area are interesting. If it's too turbulent in the mountain, then we escape in the flat and we keep a good uh, safety level. And of course, for the safety, for me, the main point is working as the organizer, the guide, you know, instructor, working on pilot's autonomy. Uh, this is... This is for me a key point, you know, because even if you have, let's say, only eight clients and two guides in the air, it's always possible, you know, one pilot escapes or, and if you give him, you know, all the keys to ensure his own autonomy, then, you know, uh, you have a good safety level. Mm. And where else in the world, because I understand you guys are doing this pretty year round. So where else are you going? What are, have you got kind of a, a system for, you know, you spend a couple months in Colombia and then where else do you go? So we work in Colombia, we work in Argentina, we work in, um, um, Dominican Republic sometimes. And then we have also, um, activity in the Balkans. Um, in Macedonia, around Khrushchevo, uh, Albania, Greece. Greece is also a perfect place to to work on on that. And when I was talking about um, pilots' autonomy, I'm, I'm thinking about it is mainly based, you know, like so a few points maybe we work on, you know, to get um, good autonomy in the pilots. Um, the first point is uh, the briefing quality. Um, uh, the, in the briefing, what is important on our point of view is to set a challenging but doable project mm. uh, according to the conditions, but also to the technical level, the state of mind of the pilots. And above all, have them understand alternative project option. So see if a pilot at one moment is isolated from the group, he doesn't stick on the preset project, you know, at all costs, which might be a source of exposure. Um, so the pilots, they must get the necessary knowledge uh, to take the good decision, terrain knowledge, danger zone, exit door, landing option, plan B, plan C. 
Um, this is all that terrain and root knowledge we have for flying there for a long time. We we spend our time trying to open new routes. We spend our time bombing out everywhere. <laughs> so we share <laughs> this with them. Uh, and, and also the ability to put the guys in the state of mind to adopt actually the good attitude. This is basically an equilibrium between motivation and safety. You know, the guys are usually highly motivated and also with the group, you know. Um, they get, you know, or maybe sometimes over-motivated, but um, put them, you know, in this good um, state of mind. And I, I believe the key word is the following. Would the pilot or the pilots be able to achieve the project without us? Or, or even, I would say, achieve a nice flight, even if it's different of the project that has been set, you know? Mm. I mean, if we if we could answer yes, um, in that means that uh, in many ways the objective is reached. So it sounds to me a little bit, I, I spent quite a bit of time in the late 90s instructing for Outward Bound, and these were typically month-long courses where in the beginning, the instructor team, there was always two instructors and usually 10 students. Uh, the the objective in the, in the beginning, you were very involved. You know, you're, you're teaching them all the kind of skills to live in nature. So from cooking and, you know, how to put ingredients into a pan and not burn stuff to navigation and compass and reading terrain maps. And then as time goes by, you step out more and more and more. And and as the autonomy of the students would increase, is that kind of the objective? Are you, are you in a sense, pulling out a little bit as time goes by, as they get more capable, more confident, more skilled? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, most of the guys, I'm, I'm sure you, you're well that most of the guys that go um, for a cross-country clinic, um, they are super focused on making their personal best. Mm. You know, mm. and that's that becomes you know their main objective. Um, it's it, it's quite easy to to remote control a group of pilot and have them achieve that. You know, like you can really you know sure um, go here, go there, by, go do this. Guys <laughs> by radio, spiral down, get them up. You know, and 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 track them. You know, to their personal base. Um, but in fact, this is not really what we are aiming at, you know, as it's not the way we like to work. We, we, we like to observe the pilot, work on their weak points, and, and so, sometimes, you know, the personal best just happens without having specifically looked for it. Sometimes sure. it's even when the guys, they, they come back home, they report tangible improvement of their flying concretized, you know, sometimes by, by the famous um, personal best, you know, but in autonomy. Mm. And so uh, our teaching is really based on that, you know, like um, uh, observe, observe the clients, identify the weak points, uh, work um, personally on improving, you know, some guys, they are too fast, you know, like they don't look, they run, they are not able to wait. Some other guys are too conservative, you know, and in a group, you know, you can see really fast the character of each pilot and you work on each of them to finally get, you know, like a group that is working and mm. go far, you know, well, far. 
Are you make nice? I mean, together. Take take me through kind of a in in briefly, not not you know you don't have to do it extensively, but it sounds to me like there's you know there's kind of a morning briefing and you're you're maybe laying out the weather and the objectives, or or are you just saying what have you found for the weather and then. Uh, well, answer that, and then we'll keep. Yeah, take me through. Take me through kind of a typical day. You know, a good. You know, yeah. a good day. A day that works. It's not a rain day. Yeah, typical day is different along the project, along the class. You know, at the beginning, of course, uh, we start to um, analyze the weather. We present, you know, the project. We present a plan B, and we say, you know, what's going on, and you know, like this. You know, little by little. During you know the tour, these are the the guys themselves you know that, that uh, after them. will finally analyze the weather. Say, oh, today we will have that ceiling. The wind will be that direction. We have this stability and stability. Um, analyzing the skewity, and they eventually you know look around and say, oh, today we could fly there. It would be you know the best place. Or sometimes you know even they say. Oh, we identify that that place would be the best, but actually we would like to fly another one. <laughs> we know that it's not going to be the best one, but we will, we like to fly it. Mm. And at this More moment, challenge. you know, yeah, yeah. And at this moment, you know, we, we let, you know, the group, you know, take decision and go for it, but it's uh, little by little, you know, it, 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 it goes like this. So at, at the beginning we set, we set, you know, the plan, we explain what are the escape option, you know, and then, you know, the guys themselves, you know, do it. Uh, little by little, um, it, when you guide guys like this, you know, um, technically, um, you can, there are moments you need to in, intervene in order to, to put yeah. the pilot in success. You know, you like to, you need to guide him on radio. You need to spiral down to bring him up. I mean, it's not to make kilometers for us it's mainly for a mental purpose meaning breaking a series of bomb out put the pilot in a positive state of mind this is one type of an intervention we can we can have but the idea is for what purpose the purpose is not get the guy out just so he can reach 50k 100k or whatever you know is just, you know, mentally put them in a positive um, situation. Then there is another thing you can do is you observe the guy makes a mistake and you let him make a mistake. Like, for instance, we could talk about this, but we, we, we work on basic um, strategic rules, you know, so rules you shouldn't break, you know. And if you see that the guy is breaking the rule and obviously, you know, it's a mistake, let him, him do this mistake and working more on the debriefing after the flight um, is something like the idea behind this is that one learns more from its mistakes than from its success, you know. Mm. So letting the guy, you know, make a mistake, like it can be a transition, you know, there is an obvious line, you know, and, and um, the guy should take the line, should see the line, you know, he's a little bit in front of you, but he goes direct, you know, to maybe a point we said we would pass by, you know, if he doesn't take the line and you take the line, doesn't take the line and at the end you see the altitude different. Probably it doesn't, he doesn't bomb out, but 
you have to wait for him, but he sees, you know, that he made a bad choice, you know? And so this is basically something we analyze afterwards in the briefing. And then if we go a little bit further with the group and they are getting, you know, really, really good at a certain point, it happens that ourselves we make stupid things, you know, like mm -hmm. we, ourselves we break, you know, like classic rules and, so we, we assess if the pilots, they just follow the instructor because he's the instructor, or if they have a clear view of what should be done and they actually do it, you know, like, um, and it's interesting when you arrive at that level to make something that is, you know, very questionable and see that the group, you know, you, you have kind of aura, you know, like uh, as an instructor, <laughs> sure. or more or less the guru, you know, and so it requires from the pilots a really, really strong opinion about sure. what should be done not to follow you. Yeah, so I love it. I love it that, that you're, you know, like you're actively, yeah, I love it that you're actively doing the bad, the wrong thing to see if they're yeah. learning and to see if they can, yeah. they can do the, make the choice. That's fantastic. Cause I, I, you know, a lot of pilots getting in trouble, get in trouble because they're being lemmings, aren't they? Yeah. Um, well, you don't do that, you know, for anybody at any level, you know, it's sure, just when you resolve a lot of problems uh, the group is working, the guys have a clear view of, you know, the classic, you know, uh, standard rules, the choice that are not questionable, the ones that are questionable and such. And then you put them in the, in the position where they have really, you know, to show, you know, that they understand and they don't follow you because they believe what you do is not appropriate. And so, and well, you don't, you don't do that with every guy, you know, you sure. arrive, you do this when the group is really working and at one moment, this is the next level, you know, like, yeah, uh, and they're ready uh, for it. You, you, you said in the beginning that you're, you try to take on pilot, you have, you know, small groups, 15 days, but you try to take on pilots that are pretty similar in, in level. What level is that? Yeah, are these are these pilots that are coming to you with a thousand hours or a hundred hours? What what are you kind of what are, and how do you screen? How do you try to get people that are kind of similar? So this is basically our force is that we 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 don't we don't come to a place for fifteen days. We usually stay in a place for three months, and mm. so basically it's not like somebody will call me and say I come to Colombia the the first 15 days of January is more like the guy says, I would like to come to Colombia with you. And then I will investigate to know what is his level. And according to his level, I will propose him to join a certain group. Okay. So, so this is, this is basically, you know, uh, how it works. So, um, the second point is that m most of the time, uh, we have about 50% of the group that are people we already know and a maximum of 50% we don't know, meaning okay. we have a lot of people coming back. And so basically, um, there is a very little incertitude about, you know, the guys that join, you know, and those guys that join, um, are usually known, you know, by the guys of the group. And I, we investigate, you know, like, um, nowadays, nobody that makes a little bit cross country, um, uh, do not publish, you know, the tracks on the internet. So you can research, see what he does, you know, and discuss with the guys. 
and so it gives you an idea so we, we don't have really like we take only the guys that have a super high level we we take something you know guys that are just you know discovering uh, cross country okay but we don't take them in the same place we don't take them on the same project and we don't mix them in a group of people that have you know a high level or otherwise it's kind of frustration for everybody you know Right. Um, so, it, so the pilots have, have pretty, pretty. You're trying to put together a group that has pretty similar skills, so the objectives yeah. can be kind of across yeah. the board, challenging and and reasonable, and uh, something that all of them could potentially do. Yes, hmm. this is we were talking about that with a group of American pilot that was guiding, you know, um, last week and last fifteen days, and they said what was cool is that um, the projects were challenging but doable. You know, mm. like, and actually sometimes, most of the time we did it, you know, like, uh, mm. and, and so this is like, say, look at the project, they just don't believe like it's impossible for them. They understand it will be challenging and, and sometimes they realize it. So <laughs> they see that in fact it was doable. So this is, uh, what, what keeps, you know, high motivation in the group also, but, uh, of course, you know, one of the, um, one of one of the problem is to build, you know, um, groups that have, you know, uh, kind of of homogeneous, you know, level and mm. and willing also, you know, willing to fly. It's very important, you know. Some people, you know, they have a high motivation. Some others, you know, a little bit less. So it's good, you know, to have uh, something like uh, an evenness, you know, in the group. Yeah, that group dynamic is is everything, isn't it? You, you mentioned that. It sounds like you and your wife um, spend quite a bit of time on the mental side of flying, which I can certainly understand. That's mostly what makes good pilots is the, the mental side, isn't it? Um, how much? Let me ask this question: it, When when you and your wife, uh, you know, between seasons or between courses or even now on the course how much are you putting into that side of the game? You know, when you guys talk at night, oh, listen, we need to work on this or that. How much is the technical? How much is the mental? What are the things you kind of have to hit over and over again? What are the, what are the big key teaching points that you find you, you have to, that are, that are, that come up over and over again? I really believe the mental part is the, is really the most important. Definitely, you know. I mean, uh, I would say, yeah, the 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 most important point we are working on is have the. It it can look, you know, like amazing, uh, stupid or amazing or whatever, but have the pilot pilot enjoy the flying, feel feel good in the air, you know. And this is really the first point we are working on. And we can really often observe behaviors that betrays nervousness, you know, Mm. Um, and resolving that issue unlocks uh, many blocking. For instance, uh, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You you observe uh, pilots that are unable to top the thermal, leading to an endless headlong rush you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. or an ability to get the necessary attitude altitude to make a safe transition or an ability to wait and get together with the group you know like for instance 
um, eventually they get a little bit in the front and then they rush, you know, in the front, they're unable to wait, you know, mm-hmm. um, bad observation leading to bad decision, um, inability to see or feel the good lines, you know, all these type of stuff, you know, so this is one of the uh, most uh, important points we are working on is have the pilot, um, let's say, be natural, feel, you know, like really good in the air. Um, how do you and, let me let me ask you how do you how do you coddle that what are you doing okay. to, to we have a special trick ah, <laughs> which, is, which is uh which is well first of all we we first work on something very classical which is mental conditioning you know um it can be you know like a motto like a little uh, sentence um the the people they think they talk, they shout, you know, in the air. Um, one of these magic sentences, the higher, the, the better, you know, like for instance, yeah, mm. most of the guys, they are afraid to get high, you know, whatever. And if they uh, think it, tell it, scream it, you know, and uh, scream, no, shout it. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's like uh, it will, you know, like relax all the muscles, make them breathe, and um, thinking something or hearing it, even if you, you say it, is totally different. And there is an, another, so this is quite classical, you know, like uh, you visualize what you want to do, you, um, let's say, connect, you know, cool sensation with the fact that climb, you climb, you know, whatever, so this is other. But there is something we discovered. We, we have a special exercise um, we use for a total different purpose. Like I, I like to disconnect, for instance, the piloting from the vision. You know, like most of the guys, when they pilot and when it's rough, they use their vision to pilot. And so um, when they arrive at the top of the thermal, they did not observe anything and they go wherever and they bomb out, you know. So basically, it's very important to disconnect the piloting from the vision, to keep the vision, take information and have, you know, like something like an autopilot, you know, to, to pilot the glider when you climb. And for this, we have... Um, a little trick we use, we ask the guy to tumble eyes shut, you know? So at the beginning, they are a little bit afraid, you know, they last 10 seconds and they need to open the eyes. And at one moment, they feel so good doing this, you really need to wake them up, you know? <laughs> Otherwise, they don't want to open the eyes. So <laughs> we realize that doing this exercise, we invented for total different purpose, meaning disconnect, you know, the vision from the piloting. We have excellent results in having the guy feeling good in the air, you know, like when they get, you know, a little bit nervous, anxious, you know, whatever, they close the eyes. Well, not in the Google, of course, but, um, <laughs> and it gives them, you know, they come back on, uh, inner sensation, you know, and, and it resolves a lot of problems. So this is a kind of exercise where we have uh, many things, you know, to work on on this type of topic. But um, this is one of the topics, you know, like um, we work on. Mm. Um, on the technical field, what we work most is widen the palette of way to turn. Well, uh, arriving at a certain level, most of the most of the pilots they have a good understanding of the thermal structure and a re- relative 
relatively good vision of the proper trajectory, they should achieve, but they lack technique in order to get it. It can be a wide range of reasons. You know, maybe they just recently changed glider or harness. Maybe it's a lack of technique. You know, however, the idea is to be able to identify the reason and work on this. Then we work on strategy and most of above all, you know, in strategy, we mainly work on identifying standard cases that are not questionable. And if the pilot already applies those simple rules, he already limits the mistakes. And this also frees the pilot mind. So when they encounter a situation where actually they should make a choice, you know, I'm talking before about situation when you don't have to make a choice. We know exactly you should do this. You know, there is no question about it. So when they encounter then a situation when they have to make a choice, then they identify it and they are more sharp. You know, if you want, I can give you a classic example. You know, yeah, uh, I climb, I see a glider that is climbing faster than me and I can reach above him. I should go. You know, there is no discussion. You know, you don't sure. let somebody, you know, climbing a little bit away faster than you if you can arrive above. Um, the group is at base and goes you know, in transition, I'm under and I climb with a good, you know, climbing rate. Uh, I don't go. I top before to go. You know, those are situations where there is no discussion. You know, you should do this. You know, mm -hmm. we all know we should do this. Then there are discussions where you need to wait to analyze the situation to take a decision. I climb. I see a glider climbing faster than me. It's not too far away, you know, but I will not reach above him. So what do you do? At this moment, you need to decide. And this decision is not easy. Mm, it depends of your altitude. If you're low, maybe you stay in your thermal that is not so good, but uh, until you get high enough to secure your position. Um, if the day is inconsistent, you know, it's short bubble, short cycles, you know, um, maybe you don't go because uh, there is good chances you just arrive below the bubble, you know. Uh, you know, like uh, this is this is basically situation where you need to take a decision. This decision might be right or wrong, you know. And so, um, if the guy already identify all the situations that are not questionable and apply the rules, beam, 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 like this at this moment, you know, um, it's it's it makes things you know easier and and have them you know identify this. So this is strategy um, about energy. Um, have the pilot, you know, identify the moments they can relax and the ones that uh, they will be anyways under pressure, you know, like uh, many guys they believe like when you top the tunnel and you start the transition, this is where you relax. And I believe it's not true. Mm -hmm. I believe as soon as you go down, you're under pressure, even if you're high. Sure. And so we, we identified a phase where the guy can relax is when they climb and they are high, you know, like in the second half of the convective, you know, layer, like in the second half, you know, the higher half you know, of the climbing. So when they are low, they need to center. They don't want to miss the thermal, you know. And then when they are low, they start to climb. They identify the start point, the arrival point, you know, the drift of the thermal. And they look at the sky and they already build the strategy of what they are going to do because they have an excellent view of the sky when they are low. They can also see easily when they are low the Birds are climbing because you see them in the sky. And the higher you get, 
the more complicated it is to make observation because if you have a cloud above you, you get close to cloud base and your vision is not so good. And the birds, you know, they are under you on the terrain. You don't see them so well. So this is basically the moment where you need to be able to relax when you climb and you're high. And so we work on this and identify where the guy should relax. And then as soon as they start this transition, of course, adjust perfectly the speed, you know, and try to find, you know, good line is something that is, you know, like key point. And so it's not the moment you relax, actually. So this is um, all, you know, kind of uh, things we work on with the tips, you know, like techniques to wait. Uh, cloud base is not the best place to wait um, because, you know, like you're under the cloud. Sometimes there are people, the trajectory is not predictable and the collider is not so much intention, so you can get collapse, you know, whatever. So um, we we teach them, you know, few things like this and we we try to put this, you know, like uh, in, in order. And then we have the theoretical input that come, you know, as a personalized support, you know, um, of what we observed on the field, you know, we explain why, you know, so this is basically, uh, how we work. Mm. So you, you had, the the mental, the technical, the strategy and the energy, if you could mm. divide those into a hundred percent, you know, what, what, what's getting the most weight? I would say first the mental was probably 50%. Oh, I, I mean, are you talking about, um, what is the time we spend on yeah. it or what is the importance on it, you know, yeah, because the, uh, both, both mental, we talk all the time about it, you know, like, how do you feel today before to go fly? Okay. Watch out yesterday. You made a super flight. And so today you're over motivated because you want to fly even better, but look, <laughs> the conditions are not the same. It's going to be complicated. You might take risk, you know, whatever. So from, you know, uh, the beginning, you know, we insist all the time there is no uh, obligation to fly. Uh, you know, it's every day your decision and uh, tomorrow is another day, you know. So the, the, the mental, you know, is all the time in it. When we see a guy in the thermal, he caught a rough thermal and he climbed, you know, and directly, you know, as soon as he top it and he goes in transition, we're not so much about, you know, like, uh, feel the line, but relax at this moment, you know, like, okay, breath. Okay. Um, let your, uh, controls go open your arms, breath. Okay. You're cool. Uh, now, now let's go again in the flight. You know, like every time we see this, you know, it's mental is, you know, like, um, every time obsession, I would say. And so there are phases where we work on it. Um, I would say it's even part, you know, for the work, but importance for me is like 60%, you know, like if the guy is not, or maybe 70% importance, you know, like if the guy is not, uh, good with his, um, um, I would say, um, em emotional control, um, then you can talk about technique, you know, it doesn't make <laughs> no point, you know, so, uh, we first need to, to, 
to take this in consideration and work on that. And then we can talk about technique, strategy, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, and uh, energy is also, you know, something that is connected with the mental, you know, like uh, um, the guys that start to be tired, you know, at one moment, uh, the guys that believe, you know, like it's the last days of the tour and we will do something like now, you know. Yeah. And so um, uh, taking all this in consideration, tiredness, you know, motivation over motivation, lack of motivation. This is basically... Um, um, like a key point, you know, in mm. the in the progression and uh, also in in the safety. Mm. And the you've stressed safety now several times, and at some point here, we're going to transition to all the work you're doing at, at with APPI. Um, but before we get to that, you know, all these years you've been guiding, and all these years with your wife, and all these places you've guided, you've had a lot of students, and I know you instruct instructors as well. What three things do you see that lead to problems? What are the three, you know, most recurring things you see? First problem, social red. Social what? red syndrome. Social you red? Know? Yeah, the weekend warrior, you know. Like ah. um I post my I I post my flights. Okay, so basically the external motivation like okay. I, I don't fly to fly i don't i fly to show the people i'm able to do this and right. so all the guys that post their flight you know like i did this you know like blah 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 at this moment um there is uh we don't we don't need this in the paragliding you know i mean i'm convinced i'm really convinced paragliding is dangerous enough <laughs> I, we, don't, I, we don't need any I'm social stupid, pressure <laughs> you know many people they say ah oh, paragliding you know that's a sport uh, with risk but it's not dangerous i i this is bullshit you know yeah. i mean paragliding is dangerous i've been making many sports and uh, i i don't remember well i did not pay, i did not do base jumping okay but i don't remember any sport i did where i had uh, so many friends that killed themselves Seriously, yeah. you know, like in this moment, every year I have two person. I know personally, they kill themselves every year. However, it's super cool to fly. I like it. You know, I wouldn't stop, you know, for nothing, but, um, accept this, I believe is the first step in direction of safety. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, you have a certain experience in the flying, I'm sure. You, oh, yeah. you you understand what I'm talking about, and sure. uh, so this is this is um, this is this is basically you know the the first problem. Um, I, I believe there are two things you know, like two things we should think about. You know, first point: what is a good paraglider pilot? What is a great flight? You know, for instance. So. For instance, for me, I'm, I'm sure, you know, for many people, you know, uh, being able to achieve a preset task and uh, get the first on the goal, of course, it's a mark of a certain expertise, you know, but for me, for instance, a good paraglider pilot is uh, someone that is able to analyze the forecast, um, eventually choose the proper takeoff, you know, in the vicinity of where he is, set a project accordingly. And also consider other tasks, you know, um, if in case, you know, the weather forecast is wrong, take off if the conditions are suitable. Once in the air, 
assess the real conditions and choose the proper projects, you know, between the projects he imagined. And during the flight, be able to assess, you know, the weather evolution and adapt his project. Not say, I decided to go there, so I go there. So this is basically what we teach to our guys, you know, when we make our briefing. We say, okay, we'd like to do this, but however, there is, uh, you know, other option. And arriving to this point, which is kind of tricky point, you know, to pass, if it doesn't work, here is, you know, like uh, optional, you know, way, you know, to shorten or or even, you know, like if we get there and it's still good, maybe we will lengthen the project or whatever. This is the idea is be able to adapt, you know. Above all, the vision we have about what is a good pilot is a pilot that is able to manage the level of exposure, you know. And, and so this is one point, what is a good pilot and what is a great flight. Uh, of course, you know, there is the magic of the numbers, you know, 100 kilometers, 100 miles, you know, whatever. Um, but for me, for instance, the aesthetical dimension of the project, uh, its originality primes on the number of kilometers. And I remember um, a pilot um, I was guiding last year and we achieved a wonderful, very original flight above a pretty wide terrain, I must admit, you know. And that guy was asking me if I had, at the end of the flight, you know, we landed and I was so happy, you know, to make this with the group because that was a route I opened, you know, pretty wide, but okay. And so we land and the guy was asking me if I had advices to give him about his flying. And he was actually asking what technical points he could improve. And so I, I thought, you know, two seconds and I asked him, uh, if he was aware, we achieved a pretty rare flight. Anybody looking at the track would call us crazy. And he said, oh, yeah, I agree. And I asked him if he had the feeling in any moment of the flight, we took a risk or he took a risk. And he said, no, any moment I knew perfectly where I was and uh, what I had to do if I wouldn't climb, you know, to keep safe, you know, because the briefing was done like this. And so he understood the briefing, you know, and uh, he felt, you know, super secure doing this. And so I, I, I said to him, OK, I have nothing more important to teach you. Uh, find the way to do safely exceptional flight. And I believe in the paragliding scene. There is a big deal with stories of pilots doing ambitious projects where they report, you know, being lucky to survive the adventure. Mm. And of course, there is probably a part of exaggeration, storytelling. Uh, I'm sure, you know, the guys that do those incredible adventures are extremely prepared. But finally, I don't think it's a good example to give to the community when, when one is concerned about the accident, you know, in the sport. Mm. Mm, so this is this is the first point, you know, like um, in, in the magazines, in the media, there are also stories of people doing stuff that are absolutely hairy. You know, I'm sure they are super prepared, but in the storytelling, it's just like, oh, I almost died, you know, 10 times and everybody finds this is cool, you know, and I don't find this is super cool. Mm. The second point, which is a problem is finally the vision of the progression in the, in the paragliding. There are some sports, uh, no pain, no gain, okay? You push your limits, you progress. Um, it's running, you know, trail running, you know, whatever. In paragliding, if you proceed like this, I'm pretty convinced you expose yourself and the cost of mistakes is often disproportionate, you know? 
And my opinion is the way to progress in paragliding is not to push, it's to work. Work the technique, enlarge the knowledge field, uh, improve the mental strengths, uh, the em emotional control, increase your experience. And then when everything is aligned, then the flying improves by itself and the results come by themselves. You know, like it's always the story of the guys that, you know, you ask him, why did you go there? And he's unable to explain really, but finally it worked. And then it worked again and it worked again, you know, like it works all the time, you know, basically he's not really, but it's a result of, you know, like a work he did. And finally, maybe all of his decision is not able, you know, to justify, but mm -hmm. actually it works. And that guy is always high. He's never, you know, like uh, struggling uh, in the middle of nowhere where he's unlandable, you know, and just escaped by magic, you know, finger of God or whatever. And, and so um, this is basically, you know, like what I believe, you know, like um, I don't stop to find cool, you know, like the guys that say, oh, I flew 100K and, you know, I got this big collapse of the rotation, but I controlled and I kept on flying and, and everybody said, wow, you're tough, that's so cool. And, you know, on the other hand, you know, the guys that say, oh, push, 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 and you will progress. And you mix this with, you know, those weekend warriors that are so happy, you know, to post, you know, on the social red, you know, the tracks they did. And every time they fly, they are under pressure. Like, um, I need to achieve this to be able to post it. Mm. And so this is, on my opinion, you know, like there is a big, big, big analysis of accidents that have been done in France under 10 last years. And it's very, very interesting. The typical guys that kill himself in paragliding, he's not a beginner. He's not a guy that do not understand nothing about the paragliding. It's a guy that has, you know, a very good experience flying, not a hot ship, you know, like B, what we call B plus, you know, like 5.76 aspect ratio glider up to, you know, like 6.5. Mm. And, you know, it's targets, you know, on this type of guy, like yeah. flying typically between 60 and 100 hour a year, which is not nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and this is typically the guy that kills himself, you know, in paragliding. He has a lot of years experience. He does cross country, made SIV, you know, he has knowledge and stuff and kills himself. And so it's int very interesting to study, you know, uh, um, this type, this type of, uh, this type of, um, accidentology, you know, like, um, analyze of accident. And, and it's the same, you know, when we work uh, with our client, um, many times the guys arrive to the clinic, as I said, they're obsessed by making their personal best. And it's their main objective. And the idea when we make the briefing and the debriefing is really to change their vision. And you can do it as an instructor, you know, like if your briefing and your debriefing is based on what they're going to improve today, then, you know, the, the question of the numbers passed on the second, you know, like screen, you know, in the back, you know, and, mm. and it naturally it goes, you know, in the, in, in the, on the, you know, in the back and the guys are most, more focused and they, they are, their happiness is connected with 
um, let's say, how they have been improved, you know, they have been able to improve the points you have been able to identify, you know, and they create like they had a, a weakness, you know, at that point. And so when they see that they improve this, um, then, you know, it's good. And then, as I said before, you know, eventually, you know, the, the, the personal bet comes, you know, but it, it was not the goal anymore. You know, it's, the goal is feel good in the air, fly, fly nicely. Mm. Okay. I flew 100 kilometers and I made five low save. Oh, cool. You are good. You have been able, you know, to make low save. However, you know, is this, is this cool? Is this a proof of success? You know, like, because if you're able to fly 100 kilometers and make zero low save, Hmm. because you took all the time the good decision at this moment who is a better pilot yeah so yeah. of course being able to escape from a low save you know in colombia <laughs> 60 meters from the ground uh, 180 feet you know it's like uh, wow you know you're super happy but each time you lose your energy and it's not a proof of i would say smart decision and right. when you are able to put the guys, you know, in this type of state of mind, not only you improve their general efficiency performance, but also, you know, you have them fly safer. So that's quite cool. Very well, very well said. I've, I've, I've often said on the show that, you know, I'm sure one of the tools you must use uh, after flying you know, to analyze and to give feedback are the databases, you know, things like X contest. They're, they're incredibly powerful and they're, they're fantastic tools, but they're a, there's a dark side to them as well, isn't there? And when you, I, I mean, I, I, there's so many synergies with life, with flying. I, I find them everywhere, but the, chasing kilometers and chasing distance or chasing your personal best is just the same as buying a bigger house or a better car. You know, they, they, the end result doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change your level of enjoyment or joy or happiness whatsoever. We know it's a fool's game and yet we do it, you know? And I think if you're, if you instead fly for, I mean, that's, that's a pursuit that has no end. There's no, <laughs> it just, you know, you, you, you land and you've broken your personal best and then you just have to break a, another personal best. Well, where does that lead? You know, it doesn't lead anywhere. So it's, you know, if you fly for, like you said, if you fly for the ascetic or you fly to, uh, there's so many other things to fly for, to get more enjoyment, just fly to get better and enjoy that that from the day uh is uh is a goal that you can reach yes well you said it has no hand but it has also no meaning you know perfectly that yeah. you know like is that day uh doing the uh, classical uh, 60 kilometer triangle around your home uh, is so easy and the next day is going to be extremely difficult you know to to achieve it you know like um the kilometers are just uh, doesn't make sense, you know, in paragliding unless you are, you know, in a kind of competition where all the guys are on the same task, the same day, you know, whatever. But basically, um, from the beginning, if you state to the guys that okay, today we go on a forty k project, but it's beautiful, mm. but it's complicated. You know, and uh, it's original. Very little people flew that route. And it's a route I opened, blah, blah, blah. And almost nobody 
went on that route. And then, you know, the guys, they touched the fact that um, kilometers are not the point. What is the point is the beauty of the project, the originality of the project, the beauty of the landscape, you know, where yeah. do you fly? And it's typically here in Colombia, like if you really want to fly kilometers, you go to Roldanio and you stay in Roldanio because it's definitely the place where you can make, you know, best flying, you know, take the best, you know, like when you can fly, you know, let's say 50 kilometer in Antioquia, you see people shaving 150 in Roldanio, you know, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't trade <laughs> the 50 <laughs> kilometer. I can fly, you know, like the magic triangle, like uh, where you pass, you know, along, you know, incredible landscapes and tricky, you know, place where you need to be clever and stuff. And, you know, like 150 euro in the valley. So um, <laughs> it's cool to do 150. I like it too, you know, but it's just, you know, to have the guy touch with a finger at, you know, like making that distance in that place, you know, mm. requires much more, you know, that maybe three times more distance in another place. Mm. And so there's not so much focus about it. Then it's, it's just a question of education, you know, like there is to record chasing stuff, you know, in all the magazines. And so all the pilots say step, you know, on this and they dream, you know, to fly 100k, 200k, 300k, whatever. But um, if you change, you know, the vision and say, okay, what do you think about that flight? Oh yeah, it's long. It's long, but it has virtually no interest. (laughs) So (laughs) so they change, they change opinion and and that's it. And Mm. when you were um, talking about, you know, um, um, what you can find, you know, an X contest and stuff. So it's a tool that is quite interesting. It's a friend of mine. He developed an application called uh, X analytics. So that would analyze your flight. And, um, when you make a group flight and you analyze, you know, the flight, they share, basically, you know, I will make it roughly, you know, they share the flight in four uh, four parts, in fact, eight, you know, but basically, you know, four interesting parts. One part is the climbing. One part is the transition. One part is the line. And one part is the searching. You understand what I mean? And mm-hmm. um, when you search, you know, like you're not really climbing. And at one moment you, you, you're circling, but you don't climb, you know, and at one moment, you know, you find the thermal and you climb. So this is time you lose basically. Um, then the climbing, you can analyze what was your climb rate. And it's really amazing, you know, between two pilots, uh, between the best and the worst pilot in climbing in a group of eight, you have one guy that is climbing, you know, twice as fast as the other one. Clearly mm. I'm showing bumps, you know, it's uh, the same <laughs> and in transition, you know, basically what was your glide in transition? So if the guys, they have virtually gliders that are pretty much, you know, the same aspect ratio, uh, the ones that exits a little bit better from the thermal, we work on that by the way, you know, like, uh, what speed exit the thermal, you know, where exit the thermal, blah, blah, blah. blah. And, uh, 
between one guy that exits, you know, properly the thermal and one guy that do not exit properly the thermal with the bad speed, the bad, you know, uh, place. And in, in a few seconds, it can be, we can get, you know, like uh, 20, 30 meter difference, you know. So this impacts, you know, on finally the collide ratio. And when you compare this, you know, I'm, I'm, in this um, way, um, I'm not a competition guy, you know, but I like to fly my glider at its best, you know, like mm. <laughs> for this. And this is also what I try to give to the people. I say, we're not here, you know, to to go a little bit further than our friends. We are here to go far together or to make a nice project together, you know, and basically be able to um, fly the glider at its best, you know. It's um, it's a key point. And basically, this little application uh, really helps, you know, uh, for the guys, you know, compared to the group, measure, you know, the, how they improve. Um, how fast, you know, what is our average climbing rate in the thermal? Um, how long did they uh, waste time before to center properly the thermal and climb? Um, how was their uh, climb? And what is the part of line, you know, like um, the part of the flying, you fly straight with a glide angle that is better than the natural glide angle of your glider. Like you have a line, you know. Mm. climb you know or you don't you just level or you go down but not like a glide of you know eight nine or whatever but rather 25 so <laughs> this is i have a line so basically this this little tool is not a tool that would um push the guy you know to take risk but um that shows to the guy how good uh how good they fly, mm. basically, you know. So technically, you know, like it's not about, you know, like uh, route choice, you know, but technically, you know, how how, is, how good they flew. So um, that, that's interesting, I believe, you know. It's uh, one of the tools that is interesting and do not push the people, you know, in the, on the dark side, you know, of the paragliding, like taking risks, getting low, no, whatever. Mm. Mm. Before we jump to your work in APPI, uh, we we went down the line there of the the things that you're seeing that cause problems. It, did we finish there? Is it you talked about kind of the social, you know, trying to put stuff out on social media? I uh, talked about chasing kilometers. Did we miss anything? Yeah, I, I think it's really the main problem. Okay. I really believe I don't I don't believe the guy kills himself because they they didn't understand what was going on. I don't understand the guy they kill themselves because technically well technically at one moment they are not at the level, you know, but um um it's it's a whole mix between what what project you set according, you know, to your abilities, to your state of mind. Um, what glider you fly according to your abilities, to the conditions, you know, you fly mm -hmm. in what, and what is, what are the safety margin you take? Yeah. I'm sure if you think about it, most of the guy, you know, that impacted on the ground, they had a major collapse close to the ground. Sure. 
Yeah. So this is at one moment they were flying a glider that was too tricky for them. In con in well, uh, there is a mix between the conditions at that place, the safety margin they had towards the terrain, and uh, the technical level required to fly that gear. You know, in those conditions. So and and also you know in in what what was you know the um, emotional state you know like uh, tired you know motivated over motivated you know whatever so at that moment so it mixed between all this <laughs> and so this situation basically it's it's always connected when you want probably you know to prove something you know. Um, most of all to other people than to yourself. And, um, well, there are some people that are pushing for themselves for sure, you know, but, uh, and, and what the people think and what the people look at, it doesn't matter to them, you know, but, uh, um, last year I had a very good friend of mine, he killed himself, you know, in the Valley and he was 100%, you know, for instance, in this type of situation, like posting his flight, you know, and, uh, being super, uh, focused on what the people would, you know, uh, think about, uh, what he was doing. And, and yeah, when I was uh, looking at him flying, I was always wondering what is the part of fun he has. Mm. Yeah. And that That's was really always the, the question I had. And I can, it, I, I don't want to make a generality with just an example, but I can take 20 of them like this on people I know personally. And where you would clearly, if I ask, you know, to their friends and stuff like this, and the question can come all the time, like what is the part of fun they had? And what is the part of um, with some kind of research of like um, recognition from the community. Um, I, I, I'm not far to believe, uh, okay, X contest is incredible tool. Okay. When I arrive somewhere, I put, you know, I make a research flight research. I put the cylinder and I look what has been done. I study the tracks, you know, and stuff like this. It's just magic, you know, like in it open, you know, the field of, you know, what is possible incredibly. But the dark side of this is finally, um, this, you know, like how does it push the guy um, to do something they wouldn't do uh, if they wouldn't pause their flight? Mm. And I'm I'm pretty much convinced if um, like uh, one day or one other, you know, the guys from X contest they say, okay, we stop, <laughs> it would have an impact, you know, on the accidentology. I'm sure. There was a study a few years ago. I don't have the result. And the two students in France in a um, university, they made a study, you know, on the connection between between social media and uh, level of risk the people, you know, feel like they take and the connection, you know, between that. And uh, I'm really, I, I would, I would really like you know to see what is the result of the study you know but um we could already do that you know on the accidents and focus on that see a little bit you know but i'm pretty much uh, is a 
a big connection, you know, between between you know the willing to show a little bit what we're able to do and the accidents. Mm-hmm. If you don't have nothing to prove and you believe, you know, like you you you're sure you're not gonna post your arrive, you're flying alone in a place where is you know like uh fucked you know and the air is so bad uh, what you do you go away and and if going away you don't find nothing you land that's <laughs> it you know <laughs> nobody's looking at you nobody will say hey he landed you know right right yeah there's... So it's your decision like do you want to fly do you want to live or do you want to die but this one you know, like, is it worth, you know, to take the risk today, you know, to exit this place, even if you know that exiting this place, therefore, it's going to be easy to make 50K more, 100K more, you know, like, is it worth it? You know, at this moment, there is also something I, I work a lot on with my uh, students is uh, measure the risk. And if we ask to the guys, you know, what is the risk, I would say probably 70% of the people they would answer um the risk is the probability something i don't want to happen happens you know this is basically but it's not this you know the risk is you know the conjunction between the probability something happens and the seriousness of the consequences okay um let me take an example I, I am on a takeoff, you know, uh, wind is little bit, uh, you know, it's a little bit tailwind and the takeoff is not so long. And let's say there are 60%, you know, chances I take off properly and 40%, you know, I fall. Okay. Well, if the takeoff is grass, you know, mm-hmm. it's one thing. If the takeoff is full of rocks, it's another thing. If the takeoff is a cliff, is a third one. You know, like with the same probability, you 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 make your takeoff. You know, the same probability you fail the takeoff. The consequences are not the same, and so the risk is the conjunction between you know the probability and the severity of the consequences. It looks stupid when we say this, but when you start to work on this and with your clients, you put them in the position each time they have to take a decision to think about the consequences. Okay. I want to make this transition and there is a little call to pass. Maybe I don't pass the call, but if I don't pass the call, what happens? You know, option one, I need to land and the cross country is over. Option one, you know, option two, um, there is nothing to land and I land in the forest. Okay. (laughs) Option three, I'm alone. Uh, there is no signal. Nobody will rescue me. It's, you know, the Colombian wild rainforest with tigers and everything in it. Okay. <laughs> and I land in it. Okay. So, um, at this moment, when the guys start to think about, you know, the consequences at this moment, you know, we make a big step forward in the risk analysis and in the decision making. Mm. Yeah. When you can start playing it out. Well, one of the things I learned when, when I started really getting into ski touring and, and learning a lot about just traveling and, and avalanche ter- terrain, one of the guys I, I learned a lot from back home uh, is one of the forecasters. And he always says, you know, imagine how the, the, the accident report will read. Just imagine it wherever you're standing, just right now. Imagine if if you make this move and it doesn't work out, what will what will the accident report read? And if it's 
you know, then he made this bad decision and then he made this bad decision and then he made that bad decision because it's usually a series of bad decisions that lead to it. It's not typically one thing like you just said, you know, okay, well, maybe I'm going to make it over the coal and then you get to the coal and well, maybe I, you know, <laughs> it's all, it's always a series. It's usually a cascade just like it is when we lose our gliders. It's a cascade of events and uh, that always helps me get come back to more grounded, you know, like if that accident report's going to read like I'm an asshole, I'm doing the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Have you heard about Tony Kern? It's, it's um, a guy that wrote a book called The Rogue Pilot. Mm. And, and in that book, Tony Kern used to analyze, you know, accidents, you know, um, in the aeronautics, you know, um, 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 little aircraft, you know, flying, mm -hmm. whatever. And the conclusion finally of the book is that um, when the pilot, at one point, the pilot had uh, a decision to take, you know, he had several options. And in 99% of the case, he, he was aware he was not taking the safest option. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like uh, the problems, you know, appeared. But, but it's not like the guy do not know, they sure. know, they arrive at the position where they have to take a decision and they know that one of, you know, like one decision is the safest decision to take, but they didn't take it, you know, and they were fully aware of it, you know, like, uh, and so that's, uh, um, that's usually the case, you know, in paragliding, like the guys, they know, and, uh, they don't take the good decision. And as you said, on top of that, it's, uh, cascade of, you know, several, you know, bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Manu, just because I'm, I'm sensitive to your time and I really want to talk about it because I'm fascinated about it. And we had a little bit of discussion a couple weeks ago when we first tried to pull this off and with the bad connection, but I want to talk about APPI. Uh, I hadn't, okay. uh, I hadn't thought we'd get, go down that rabbit hole of, of safety, but I'm really glad we did. That was, that was terrific to hear all your thoughts about that and to know uh, what you see in the field. But I think that's a good transition to APPI because that's obviously what you're teaching as well with that. So tell, tell, give us a brief of what APPI is. Marco told us a little bit about it in his show, but um, tell us about what that is, what the work you're doing and how it's, I, it seems to be how it's kind of transforming a bit the instructional side of, of our sport. Well, first of all, APPI is um, an association of paragliding pilot and instructor, which is based in Switzerland and has been founded in 2009, you know, so basically 11 years ago. Um, the main guy behind was David Arufat, which is a, um, a Swiss instructor. And, uh, and David was living in, in Nepal and, uh, I would say teaching, you know, to the Nepali people how to fly. And he, at one moment he believed, you know, it was good, you know, to make a proper system, you know, for Nepali people. And, uh, really, really fast, he, he understood that making an international system of, um, teaching and certification had a meaning because more and more people are traveling and maybe one guy will learn how to fly in USA and then come take a cross country clinic, you know, in Colombia with maybe a US instructor, maybe a French one or maybe a Colombian one. And then go, for instance, to in Turkey, to Oludenis, 
and make SIV, you know, and whatever. And so the progression now is not like everything in the same place, you know, the guys, they travel and they progress. And um, if they have some certification in the system and they arrive, you know, in another country, uh, maybe the instructor has no idea about, you know, what means the certification they got. So the, the first idea was to offer to uh, the pilot and instructor a worldwide united education system. And so this is the, the first point. The second point that came, you know, behind this was uh, finally to, um, to create something like a quality label. Like uh, if we certify a tandem pilot, if we certify, you know, an instructor, uh, this means that this guy has a certain level of um, knowledge, uh, technique, you know, mm. um, uh, <laughs> mental, uh, mental control, you know, and uh, experience. So basically, um, this was the second uh, part, you know, of uh, APPI. So first the system became, you know, like uh, more like worldwide and, you know, just Nepali system for the Nepali people. And, and then the third point that came, you know, a little bit later uh, was to try to provide to all pilots in the world access to an insurance because when like me, you are, you're coming from France, it looks like super natural to have access to the insurance and it's not the case in many countries in the world and so basically this came like a, uh, it became like a main objective of APPI so three main objectives you know create a worldwide education system quality label and pro- provide insurance to everyone to everybody in the world so uh, let me stick on that for a second because the insurance has been a really big thing, as you know. You and I spoke about this before in in the states. Um, so if I if I wanted to become an instructor and I wanted the API, APPI label, I could get insurance through through your organization. Okay, so basically. We, we have been working on providing insurance, you know, everywhere in the world. We work on it, but so far we did not totally achieve it. Meaning for mm-hmm. the moment, we are able to insure all the European citizens, even if they live abroad, or the foreigners when they fly operate in Europe. Okay. Meaning if tomorrow you say to me, okay, I'm going to go, you know, in Greece or whatever, and uh, you're certified the PPI in your flight tandem in Greece, we are able to insure you. Okay. But um, USA and unfortunately, you know, like USA and, um, and Canada are kind of the big fear of the insurance company. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we are actually working on on uh, opening, you know, and and I believe we will achieve it, you know, like uh, we are um, after you know a few years with excellent result in terms of accident for the insurance, um, they are ready, you know, to open worldwide. But I'm afraid USA and Canada will stay, you know, on the side. They they are really blocking on it, you know, like it's very 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 complicated. So I'm super afraid. So um, I don't see 
in the next future solution, you know, for um, USA and Canada. Today, APPI has 10,000 members in 100 countries, you know, and there's awesome, you know, in USA and Canada, but um, I, I'm afraid, you know, for the insurance, it's always going to be a problem. And give me, yeah, and then we don't have to get into that. We, everybody that's listening to the show that lives in either of those places knows why, and that's, you know, it's just part of our reality right now. Um, but the, t- take me through, I understand there's five levels at the solo pilot level, but take, take me, kind of hit me the, Hit me with the main points of what APPI takes you through. What are you? What are you? Where? What are you trying to achieve with the syllabus and with the course? So, um, what is a little bit specific about APPI and very interesting is that the syllabus they are created by, uh, let's say, the um, um, educational committee, and this educational committee. Um, is made of uh, 12 master instructors or 14 master instructors at this moment that are from different horizons. We have people from France, from uh, Switzerland, from USA, from India, from Macedonia, you know, from wherever, you know. And so basically, um, the, the way the system has been developed has really um universal you know um uh let's say value and this is something i did not realize at the very beginning and then you know like when in the discussion maybe the guy from usa will say okay we should do this and then the guy from india say are you kidding if we do this you know in my country is never gonna work you know mm-hmm. for that and that reason and so basically i think this is one of the big strengths of the APPI system is not a system made made by French people, you know, for French pilot of by you know um, US masters, you know, for uh, US pilot. It's mm. something that is you know, like more and, and it's really rich, it's very interesting. So um, the the system. So we have, of course, you know, like a, a pilot manual. We have a, a logbook, you know, where everything is described, and all this is available. I would say in at this moment probably uh, ten languages, you know. And for instance, we have an online theory training uh, system uh, with a pool of uh, five hundred questions. You know, at the beginning we had uh, three thousand, and we uh, decrease it to five hundred. And and I can I can totally give an exam to a Chinese guy. You know, mm. uh, he would receive it in Chinese, and then I will get the wrong answers, you know, he, he did um, in English or in French or whatever, and then I can make a report to him, a feedback, you know, saying, okay, you passed the exam, but however, you know, like you were wrong on this one, this one, this one, and I want to talk about that with you, you know. So um, this is, this is um, like the online theoretical exam virtual room is quite advanced, you know, for this. And then there are some specificity in APPI that, you know, like put APPI a little bit different, like the other federation. Like, for instance, you you cannot be advanced pilot if you don't have an advanced SIV certification, like, because nobody needs to be advanced pilot. The guys that want to be advanced pilots, it's because they want to become tandem pilot or they want to go for some comps, you know, whatever. And so we believe that, you know, being able to 
pilot, you know, the glider is a key point. Is it is it a good point? Is it a bad point? You know, this could be discussed, you know, but however, the system is like this and you don't have access, you know, to tandem operating if you're not able to do at least to perform autonomously at least five maneuvers, you know, which are um, deep spiral, dump exit, you know, pitch, pitch control, um, stall back, fly, fly again, um, spin and exit to spin and collapse auto rotation exit auto rotation so if this is not mastered under a solo glider you don't have access you know to the tandem teaching man that is terrific i I hope that's taken flight all over that that's really that's solid Uh, those of you who are listening will have details about all this and more and all the stuff that Manu's talking about on in the show notes for the show. And Manu, I'm really psyched we were able to pull this off. I can't wait to do some flying with you. I wish you the very best for the rest of your uh, time down there in in Columbia with you and your wife and all your students. Uh, I hope you guys are having fun. I'm sure you are. And thanks, man. I really appreciate it. This was incredibly valuable and instructive. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hope to see you in the air and share, you know, some thermals together. That would be great. Thanks, Manuel. Thank you. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing, a lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind the scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks. So, for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I... For a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people. And these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, You can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, We've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, little video casts that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime and hopefully you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, All of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise, t-shirts or hats or anything, you should be all set up. You should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support. And we'll see you on the next show. Thank you. Go straight to hell, boys. Go straight to hell, boys.
Israel.